Today, we begin a new series called The Incredible Life. And it's amazing how God just kind of puts a gathering together. All the music was just perfectly, it just perfectly fits around what we're going to be sharing here today. And uh, when you think about the incredible life, I think many people have different ideas about what that may be. Uh, many would say the incredible life uh, kind of uh, stems itself around <clears throat> those things that we have, uh, the people that we know, and all those many things. And, and sometimes that can go in, into the equation. But the thing that we need to understand is the fact that when we speak of the word incredible, the word actually means so extraordinary that it, that it seems impossible. And that's the theme of what we're going to be looking at over these next six weeks, the incredible life. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. It's near the back back there. All through Scripture, we see and hear about love. And and, uh, one one passage that's very familiar to us is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. There's a whole chapter dedicated to love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then, of course, we know the great commandment that Jesus said to those who asked him, basically said, uh, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And here was his response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And it doesn't end there. And your neighbor as yourself. Love is the important theme that runs through Scripture. When you think about it, it motivated God the Father to send his son to the cross. It motivated Jesus to take on the cross. And it is the kind of love that God offers us. It's that love that is what we would describe unconditional. So look at the introduction there on your outline. The incredible life begins with God's unimaginable love towards us. It is a love that pursues and is passionate. And our response to his love conceives the incredible life he has for us. I don't know about you, but I think so many times when we think about God's love, we, we think about the fact that God is love, and we're getting ready to talk about that in just a moment. But the thing that I think we need to get our minds around, and there's verses all over the place that tell us this, is that God's love literally pursues us. And we'll see that in just a moment also. So the first thing we see here is the magnitude of God's love. God's love is unique and nothing compares to it. When the Bible says that God is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it's talking about that it is his character. It is his character. So when we say God is love, it's his character. And therefore, based on what we know about God himself, he cannot act outside of his character. And so the epitome of who we know God as and the revelation that's been given to us by those who wrote about it, we come to the conclusion that God is love. So the first thing that we need to look at when it comes to this magnitude is number one is privileges. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, here's what John says. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, I think many of you probably have probably been in church most of your life. You've probably heard the stories in the Bible. You've been introduced to the characters in the Bible. And, and many of you probably know the Apostle Peter and, and Paul. But then there's John. If you read John's gospel, he seemed to be in awe of God's love. 
Matter of fact, there are several times in the Gospel of John where he talks about the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was referring to himself. It seemed that as he writes his gospel, and then we come into 1 John, John is consumed with the fact that God loves him through Jesus. And, and it's so evident in the fact that he's even writing about it here in 1 John chapter 3. Think about what he says. Behold what manner of love. That's where we get the whole idea. It's unimaginable. It's an incredible love. It's a love that's extraordinary, that it's even hard to get your mind around. And that's how he's describing it here in these first words of 1 John chapter 3. And then he says, the Father has bestowed on us this love. That means he's extended it to us. Not only that, that we should be called children of God. Now think about that. The first part of verse 1 could be translated, Behold what an intensely enthusiastic love that the Father has for us. Now, let me just say this about those of us who've been church most, in church most all of our lives. We, we've heard this story since well, we can't even remember probably days and thoughts that we didn't have these kind of thoughts in our minds that the fact that God loves us. Let's think about that. But for those who come to know Christ later in life, for those who come to the awareness of God's love that it pursues, that it is passionate, I think for many of them, they're in awe, probably a little more in awe of God's love than we are. And that's because we are so familiar with this idea of God's love. And I think for us, we need to understand that there's a whole level of his love that not only is unimaginable, but there's a mystery that is associated with it. And we find that idea in God's word also. Now, as you think about that, think of this. The whole wonderful plan of salvation begins with the pursuing love of God. Think about that. He pursued you. I mean, you, you, it doesn't, that love doesn't get any better than that. You, you talk about uh, most women, and, and I'll, 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 maybe I'm singling you out, ladies, but most women love the fact that they are pursued. They like to be pursued. It's interesting that us as men, we, we do a lot of pursuing in the dating years, don't we? And maybe we'll pursue in the first couple years of marriage, but sometimes that, that kind of is released <laughs> as marriage goes on. But women like to be pursued. But I want you to think about this. God has pursued us and continues to pursue us. And that's something we do definitely need to get our mind around. And it's part of the privilege of his love. How do we know this? Romans 5, 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a picture of a pursuing passionate love that God has for us. But then John goes a little further to describe this love when he's describing its privilege when he says this at the end of verse 1, that we should be called children of God. Now, I want you to think about how drastic this thought is. Before we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become a follower of Jesus. The Bible describes us as an enemy of God. Now, think about that. As a result of this salvation, this pursuing passionate love, we move from being an enemy of God that's deserving of his wrath to a child of God. Now, to me, that is, that's pretty extreme when you go from one to the other. 
But here's what I want you to think about. Even while we were considered an enemy of God, that love was pursuing us in that. Think about that. That should get us all excited. That's something that's beyond that. We were deserving of God's wrath. We, We were found in a condition of lostness. We were in darkness. Couldn't even find our way out of it, according to what the Bible says. And that love pursued us while we were still yet considered an enemy of God. That is phenomenal when you think about it. Now, all of this points to what is known as an unconditional love. God's love brings us as followers of Jesus into a new relationship. Literally, that new relationship produces a new reality in us with new privileges. Think about that. What what are the privileges? Well, we're born again. We're born again. How many of you like fresh new starts? How many of you like the fact that our salvation purchased the fact that everything that he could have held against us in our past life has been removed? Has been removed. While we were an enemy of God, while all those things were happening, all that has been renewed. Literally, it means the old life is dead and the consequences that comes with that for this new reality, a new life is born in us. Next, we are recipients of his unconditional lavish love and then it doesn't end there. We become heirs of God. Now, let me, let me just say this. This is where the sermon is going this morning. The thing that you will find is this. We think we know a lot about God's love, and we do, because based on what the scriptures have revealed, revealed, we know a lot about God's love. It's been revealed to us. But did you know that we still can't fathom the full effect of God's love? Do do you realize that the Bible says there's still a mystery associated with it that will not be revealed until later? I want you to think about that. Matter of fact, I'll go ahead and tell you the ending. This is what I believe. I believe when we get out into eternity, that the mystery of God's, God's unimaginable love will be this revelation. It will be this thing that will unfold throughout eternity. I really do. I believe it will be something that unfolds as, it, as we make our way into eternity. Not only do we see the privilege of God's love, but also its perplexity. Look at the second part of, of verse 1. Therefore, is speaking of this love that he has, now we're children. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It it doesn't know us. Think about that. It means the world does not get us. How many of you can look out there and see that as a fact? They don't get it. They don't get how we can be in love or this whole new reality we say we have in Christ They don't get it. Matter of fact, some of them don't want to get it. Some of them, and here's what you need to understand. Before we came into his love, before his love pursued us and brought us into our new reality, we were just like them. We were considered an enemy of God. Now, some of you may say, you know something? I don't ever remember a thought that I've ever had that I was an enemy of God. But yet the Bible describes us that way. But the fact is, the reason the world does not get us is because we are in this new reality he's produced. Before, we were just like them, considered an enemy. It's just that many people are acting out the fact that they are an enemy of God. Wouldn't you say that's true? 
And so that's where they are. But he, listen to this, he and the work that he does in us is perplexing to those who are lost, to those who are in the world. If you go back to verse 1, the very first part, he's talking about what manner of love. The word manner in this context literally means a reaction of astonishment. That's really what John is trying to describe here. Obviously, from both the believer and the unbeliever. It's one of those things where we're astonished at what is there when it comes to God's unfolding love. The believer stands in astonishment of the fact that of God's love because all their sin has been forgiven. Think of that. Think about what we just sung here. For every sin you overcame. That's what we just sang. That, that's part of our testimony back to God about this new reality we have in him, that, that all this junk that was back there, doesn't matter what it is. You may say, you don't know what's in my background. You don't know what's really back there. It doesn't matter. He says, it's all capable of falling under the love of God. It's all capable when we come on his terms into that new reality that all is forgiven. Behold, all things have passed. Behold, all things have become new, a new reality in who we are in Christ, all made possible by the love of God. Now, the unbeliever cannot fathom God's love. They don't get it. They never will. Matter of fact, if we're honest and we really dove into understanding God's, the depth of God's love for us, we would say we really don't get it. Because it's beyond anything this world can ever demonstrate. In Ephesians chapter 3, look here on the screen. The Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, here's what I see here. Anytime that we're extending faith, it's part of our new reality. It's based on this new relationship we have with Jesus Christ. What we're doing is we're responding to his love. Okay? So when I'm acting in faith, I'm acting in response to his love. How do I know this? He says that you, that in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in this love. Now think about this. The phrase being rooted and grounded, it's the idea that it is present, it's in present tense, which means that this is something that is still going on. This is something, this is like that uh, re revelation of his love that is still unfolding in our hearts. It's still that we are building this relationship that is being rooted and grounded. It speaks of a permanent place, that we're moving towards a permanent place found in his love. A lot of the counseling that, that I do, and if others were to probably, if you had a chance to talk to a Christian counselor, they would say the same thing, that many times the reason people need counseling is because they've lost sight of who they are in Christ. And for many others, it's because they've lost sight of who God is and, new, and that relationship he desires for them. They've lost the fact that they should be rooted and grounded in his love. And, and part of that comes with the understanding of who we are in him and who he is. That's what brings things together for us, that we're moving towards a permanent place in his love. And that's where we have that assurance now, in his love. Now, listen, listen to the next part. That we may be able to comprehend 
or discover with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. It's a mystery. He's saying there's still a mystery that's out there. It's still unfolding. And, and, and we're trying to comprehend. We're trying to literally, the word really means to discover the complexities and perplexity of his love, which what? Passes knowledge. It supersedes knowledge. You can't get there intellectually. It's experienced. It's something that is experienced that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is the result of the, of the response. And it all begins with faith and trying to understand the realization of the new reality of love that he has for us and trying to comprehend, trying to get to that point where that mystery of his love begins to unfold in our hearts. It is a love, listen to this, it is a love that not only looks back to that point of salvation, but also it is a love that we live in and experience today in the days ahead. That is it. That is, that is the full comprehension of what his love provides. Next, not only do we see the magnitude of his love, but also the mystery of God's love. And it begins with our transformation. Think about this. All true believers go through a transformation. When they receive God's love, when they accept Jesus as their Savior, this transformation has a mystery associated, meaning that there are parts of this transformation that they are continuing to unfold, and there's mystery as to how it will unfold even into the future. And the Bible gives us some clues about what that looks like. But I want you to think about this. If at one point in my life, I was considered an enemy of God, and if my sins were offensive to him, and, and, and I was not accepted by him because of my current situation, and then I come to know him, come to know, come to understand that his pursuing love was leading me to Jesus. And I began to move towards Jesus. I repented of my sins. I turned from my sins. I've gotten forgiveness. Now I'm accepted by him. Now the Bible says I'm an object of his love. As a result of that, there will be transitions that take place in our lives. There will be transformation that takes place in our lives. Now I'm going to say this. If something doesn't change between what happens to us here to here, there's never been any transformation and there's never been the relationship that the Bible describes in Christ. It's something that must take place. It is the response to it. It's not working to that end. It's response to his pursuing passionate love that he has for us because we've experienced it. We not only know it, We've experienced it. Now, let's look at what this looks like. First of all, our transformation has a present reality. A present reality. Look at 1 John, chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Children of God. At the moment when we receive Christ, something miraculous happens within us. And this is that whole idea of transformation. We're changed. We're changed. The Bible literally says that our spirit is quickened. It's made alive. Our soul changes. Our body, however, has yet to change. How many of you have noticed that? Doesn't happen that quick, does it? I mean, things, that's, that's a future reality, okay? But something changes. We become indwelt by the spirit of God. 
as I said before, we become an object of God's love. But there's not only a present reality to this transformation, there will be a future reality to this transformation. And again, John is using this language of what manner of love. That's how he began the whole subject in this thought. What manner of love? He's, he's basically, it's unimaginable. It's incredible. It's amazing. And, and here's what it brings. The second part of verse 2. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. As he is. I want you to hold your place here in 1 John and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you'll go ahead and turn there, there's uh, 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 quite a bit of uh, passage I want to show you as it relates to our future reality. But, but anyway, as you turn, listen to this. This is the mystery, the future reality. Faith will become sight. We're going to receive a new body that's no longer corrupted. Though no longer, no longer will we be plagued with the pain and sorrows of this world. That is the future part of our transformation. I mean, that's a biggie. That's a big thing there. So in First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four. I want you to look at verse sixteen. Paul is saying he's really giving clues to what's going to happen to our future transformation. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Now, what would that be? That would be our body. How many of you, I mean, I hate to say it, but wasting away. Anybody that age yet? You're starting to sense some of that? Some of you 20-year-olds, we don't like you. We don't. You don't even know what that feels like, but anyway. But, but it says the outward man is perishing, yet the inward person or the inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though this is declining, this body, what's he saying inwardly needs to be happening? There's greater knowledge. There's greater awareness of who we are in Christ. We're growing. There's, there's something about us that is super, becomes supernatural in its, 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 in its existence because it becomes unimaginable. We begin to start living things that we never thought were possible. Having ideas about things that we not thought were possible. Having a reaction to life in ways that we never thought was possible. Think about that. That is the work he's attempting to do in us. And then he goes on. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. There's some of you sitting here today and you say, what I'm going through, I definitely would not describe as a light affliction. Do you know who he's talking to here? He's talking to Christians who could lose their life because they're Christians in the first century. He's talking about persecution that could end in death. And he's comparing it to a, this, this, this uh, light affliction. And some of you are dealing with big things in your life. I get it. But he's saying... That was your reality over here. Yeah, when you were enemy of God, when you were not being pursued by his love in a way that you never received it, and it was a passionate, yeah, you have a right to feel like the whole world's falling apart. But you need to realize he's doing something greater than you because of who you are now. And it supersedes anything that this life may have brought you. This big what's really going on over here. And it, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but it's there. And then he says this. 
He says, all this is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's part of the future reality of our transformation. There's so much more to come. So much more to look forward to. And then he says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. These things are just for a moment. But he says, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's a greater work going on that will last throughout eternity. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body is destroyed, we have a new building from God, a new body. A house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. It has no resemblance of anything that's here on earth, but something that is created in the heavens. For in this, we groan earnestly to be, uh, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our, with our habitation, which is from heaven. We're longing for that new body. If indeed heaven been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. We also have been given the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit of God has been given us as a guarantee. It is the assurance that these things will take place. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For now we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are confident, yes, well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's a whole new reality. What are you saying? There's a whole new reality that this life over here is going to take on that we don't fully comprehend. That's the good news. The good news. Now, this is the mysterious part of God's love. Not only do we see our transformation, but also his revelation. Look at the second part of verse 2. And it has not yet been revealed what we will be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. At his revealing, at his coming, listen, the Bible says our faith will become sight. What does that mean? In the context he's talking about here, everything will come together. Everything that was supposed to will come together. There's a part of the mystery that will be revealed. All the loose ends will be taken care of. How many of you, your life, you could describe that there's a lot of loose ends? How many of you would say that in this world, there's a lot of loose ends? Did you know when he comes back, he was going to take care of the loose ends? All the pains of this world will be removed. So the mystery, listen, of God's love is unfolding in eternity. It still awaits us. Look at the verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is after all the talk of love. And there, here's what it, uh, uh, Paul says. But when that which is perfect or complete has become, he's talking about eternity there, then that which is in part will be done away with. That means time and the mysteries associated with all the things that we don't understand. Okay, he's saying time is going to end and we're going to enter into eternity. And as we enter into eternity, there's going to be some things that will unfold. Look at what he says next. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Now, what you think about that? Children are easily convinced. Children are what we call concrete thinkers. 
they literally have to see what's in front of them to comprehend what's going on. It has to be right there in front of them. But then as we become adults, we become more of what's called an abstract thinker. We not only look at things concretely, we look at things abstractly. That means we can see the meaning behind things, and it becomes clearer to us. So when we're children, there's still a lot of mystery out there we haven't even tapped into. There's even ways of thinking that we haven't even tapped into. But all of a sudden, there's this whole way in which we look at things that changes as we become an older child, a teenager, an adult. And, and, and I don't know about you, but it is a tremendous unfolding that begins to take place. What Paul is saying here, he's saying when the, our time here on this earth is no different than the way a child experiences it. But when we get to eternity, there's a whole complexity that will open up to us. That there will be understanding there will be revelation about what all this has been about. He's talking about this so clearly. He says, but when I became a man or an adult, I put away childish things because everything became fully realized. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, not fully understanding, but then face to face, fully understanding. Now I know in part and again, what's he talking about? What's the whole context of, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? God's love, the mystery of it, the magnitude of it. And he gets to this point. Now, I know in part, there's still parts that are still unfolding, but then I shall know just as I'm also known. I will know these things as well as I know myself as they continue to unfold. You see, the mystery of God's love will be revealed in eternity. There's still more to come, basically, is what's being said. Not only do we find in this passage the magnitude of God's love, the mystery of God's love, but lastly, the motivation of God's love. Where, where did this whole motivation come from to bring us from one place to the next? Well, the first thing we see there is his redemption of love, his desire to pursue us, his desire to pursue us. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him. I want to stop right there. Everyone who has this hope in him. Some of your translations say this, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him. Now, what does this mean? It means whatever it is, this hope, he's talking about his love, it's assured by him, it's guaranteed by him, and, and what it brings is dependent upon him. So the word hope in this context implies that our spiritual lives are in the process. It's awaiting a future completion of our redemption. You say, where did the redemption start? It started when we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When he took us from darkness to light. When he took us from death to life. When he gave us a, a new reality. When we went from being an enemy God to a child of God, when we went from being an object of his wrath to an object of his love, that's where it all began. But in this, there's a process. I think most of us, when we think of the process of our faith, we think of the word sanctification, don't we? I think many of you, if you know the big word, the terminology is sanctification. But let me tell you a part of sanctification that's often overlooked. It's the fact that the complexities of God's love begin to be more and more revealed to us. We become more enlightened to him and what he has for us. 
And that's a big part of it. How do we know this? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look here on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope. The word begotten there, he's conceived us to a living hope. It's the idea of being born again. We were born first. We were conceived, right? And then we were born. This new life we have in him, born again, there's another conception that takes place. Our spirit is made alive. The spirit of God comes within us. And there's a new living hope that comes with it. How did it come about? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for whom? You, us. Again, what's the language here? A whole new reality that hadn't even been realized yet who are kept by the word of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last days. It's amazing when you think about it. His redemption of love, his desire to pursue us has many parts. Look on your outline. First of all, his son died in our place. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength in due time or the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what that literally means? God had an unfolding plan that began at the very beginning that when it was just right, when it was perfect, he sent his son. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't one, that, and that's what this verse is indicating to us. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I gotta have a plan B here. No, it goes all the way back. It goes all the way back. It was always put in motion that his love would pursue us, that his love for us would be passionate. Next, his son paid the price for our sin. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. How did it come about? Does it say according to how much we pleaded with God? Nope. It says according to the riches of his grace. That's good. Next, his son made us right before God. Jesus, listen to this, Romans 4, 25. Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses, because of our sin, was raised because of our justification. The, the point there is, is what Jesus did on the cross, this redemptive plan that God had imagined the whole time, was to bring us from an enemy to a child of God. To really, from where we were not accepted by God, to being accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Before Jesus, before you came to know him, the Bible says you were not accepted by God. Your sin was an offense to him. Something had to take place from where you were to where you are now. What breached the gap, which caused the, for this to be a reality, was what Jesus did on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection assured what we have over here. Where, where was the motivation for it all along? His love for us. His pursuing, passionate love for us. Next, his son made us a child of God. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption. He brought us into the family. He looked through time. He saw us. He pursued us. There was a passionate love in which he brought us into the family as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the, this, is, this almost sounds sweet, doesn't it? How did it come about? According to the good pleasure of his will. That's good when you think about it. That's good stuff. 
Next, the motivation of God's love, not only his redemption of love, but our response of love, our desire to pursue him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, in the meantime, our response to his love, according to Scripture, is to become like him, to become like Jesus. Be pure as I am pure. Move in that direction. Okay, that's our response. That's what he says is our response. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2. There's some clues to this. Look at verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The word know there, many of you know this, who study, it, it, literally it's talking about intimacy. It's not talking about head knowledge. It's talking about intimacy. If we, now this, we have intimacy that we have intimacy with him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, or has, say we have an intimate relationship with him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in that person or, or, or is the, the idea of bringing to maturity or bringing to completeness, okay? Now, here's what we need to understand about what we've read so far. The evidence of our love for God or for, for Jesus, what he's done, is found in our obedience. Now, why would it be found in our obedience? Here's why. Because we knew all along he loved us. He pursued us. He has a passionate love for us. His obedience is what he's commanded us to do. What are his commands? Here's what we got to get our mind around. It's his best for us. His commands are to keep us out of trouble. His commands are to keep us out of hardship. His commands, the problem with us as we look at his commands is that we think they're limiting. We, we think that he's a killjoy. We think because we can't go along with the world that, that, that we're missing out on something. No, he, we, we know him. We know he loves us. He has a pursuing love. He has a passionate love. And when he commands something, we know that he just wants the best for us. But we don't think that way, do we? Sometimes we think we're missing out. When he's just pleading with us, no, this is the best thing for you. This is the best. And we respond to that. His love wants the best for us. And then it says, by this we know that we are in him. We're beginning to move towards him. That is a great response. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he has walked, realizing it is God's best. He loves me with a pursuing, passionate love. He wants what's best for me. I'm going to embrace that. I want to embrace that. What would that allow me to do? To experience him even more. To experience him even more. That's what it will do. So here's the application. Unbelievers, I want you to think about this. This is pretty deep. Unbelievers sin against their creator while believers sin against their father. You ever thought of that? Unbelievers sin against their creator. Believers sin against their father. It's a whole new relationship. Unbelievers sin against the law of God. 
while believers sin against the love of God. Think about that. And then I want to sum it up like this. The incredible life summed up is a pursuing, passionate response to an unimaginable love that has been extended to us by a loving God, expressed through the one revealed to us known as Jesus, which happens to be our church's lead story. It's all about him. So here's the question I want to give you this morning. Can your love for him be described as his love for you? Pursuing and passionate. Do you pursue him? Do you wake up in the morning desiring to pursue what he desires for you that day? Pursuing his best? Pursuing his desires? Would you say your love for him is passionate as his love for you? Does he even move in that direction? Do you have a passion for him? I want to close with this thought. This is something I've given you. I've tried to put this in front of you because I think it is one of the best tools to help you understand if you really have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. As I began this sermon this morning, the incredible life, listen, begins with receiving what Jesus has provided for you. And I want to explain to you what it looks like. Look here on the screen. The transformation to an incredible life. First of all, there's an awareness of a supreme being. All of a sudden, you begin to look around. Maybe it's the Spirit of God beginning to work in your heart, saying, you know something? There's got to be something bigger out there than what I'm seeing. Then there's that initial awareness of God's love. Maybe you heard it from somewhere, or maybe you just saw the creation and thought, man, there's design here. There's beauty here. There's got to be some kind of love here. And then it becomes an awareness of the fundamentals of God's love. And then the grasp of the implications of God's love. You, again, you're looking at all these, possibly with amazement. Then there's a positive attitude towards God's love. But then it's got to lead to this, a personal problem recognition. You begin to see all that in light of who you are. And that leads, according to Scripture, to conviction, to, to you realizing you're a sinner. And, and that awareness that you need to believe in who he says he is. And then comes the decision to act on God's love. Let me just tell you this. If you've never made the decision to act on God's love, if you're, if you're, if you, if you're these things before this, and, and you, maybe you even came to the personal recognition that you're a sinner, maybe you realize that there's a great love out there that you've never received, and, and you stop there, Based on the authority of God's word, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, 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 you're not the object of his love at that point. It begins with the decision to act through confession, through repentance, by faith in Jesus Christ, by, by profession, by lordship. That's where the salvation occurs. That's when there's a new creation, your new reality. That's when you move from an enemy of God to a child of God. That's when the Holy Spirit indwells you. And what will be the evidence of this salvation? An unimaginable love for God that is pursuing and passionate, and it should translate into a desire to pursue Him with your behavior, with your attitude, with your perspective. Everything changes. That's part of the transformation. And then you realize the importance of the Word of God in prayer, the role of the church, sharing your story, and serving Him. It all comes about by responding to His great love.
So I want to invite you to, if you will, just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And what I want to do is if, if there's someone here in this room that has never made that decision to act, you've never stepped out and thought, you know something, I've, I've been aware of God, I've always start, heard the stories of his love, but I've never done what you just said. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me to yourself, right there where you sit. If you've never made the decision to respond to his incredible, unimaginable love, you've never done that, pray this in your heart. Dear Father, right now I want to respond to the love that you have for me. I know, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. Therefore, I admit that I'm a sinner and in need of salvation that my sins may be forgiven. At this moment, I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins and turn to the provision of salvation that Jesus' love provides. I desire to live for you and respond to your love by living the rest of my days for you. Father, I just pray if there's someone here today that's maybe prayed a prayer like that for the first time, and they just entered into this journey. They just, they just said, yes, I want to make a decision to act on, on the love, that pursuing love that you have for them. Father, I pray that they would tell someone that before they leave here today. Father, that they would even see myself or another pastor, Father, that they just tell someone that they made a decision to act today, to respond to your love. Father, that's what we're here for as a church. That's what we're here for as individuals, to make you known, to make your love known to the world. We thank you for what you've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?